0: Good morning. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we're actually going to work through most of the book of Acts this morning, Uh, but I'm going to pray to get us started. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for um, just how we've remembered this morning uh, your broken body and shed blood on our behalf to rescue and redeem fallen sinners like us, and uh, we give you praise and glory um, for that and ask that you speak to us this morning as we look at the church, the community of the kingdom of God, and that we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling What We Believe. It's a series on some doctrines of the faith that are foundational to what we believe as followers of Christ. And this morning we're going to look at the church, the community of the kingdom of God. So like I said, go ahead and open your book, to, Bible to the book of Acts. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, We'll be making some observations about the church in its beginning as we go. Now, when we started this series, we first looked at how God speaks and that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. And then we turn to how the Bible is God's story. It's God's narrative to us of the gospel. And from there, we turn to looking at who God is. God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, And we looked at the implications for our life together that come from the nature and character of God. And then we looked at mankind being created in the image of God and how God is the creator and how God makes. And God had made the world and declared it to be good. But then mankind rebelled against God and against his command, disobeying him and bringing about what we call the fall. And the fall resulted in the curse of sin and death spreading through and corrupting all of creation. That's the bad news of the gospel that leads to the good news of the gospel. uh, That in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can be redeemed from our fallen and separated state. And then last week, Emmett preached about the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all things. He shared with us a definition from Tim Keller about the kingdom. That the kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces and as things are brought back under the rule of Christ and under his authority they are restored to health, beauty and freedom. So at 3 rivers we talk a lot about our D.N.A. K.D.S.C. Kingdom, disciple, society, church. The kingdom of God makes disciples who engage society and make disciples who gather together and form the church. The kingdom of God makes disciples who engage society, who make disciples, who, as they gather together, form the church. The kingdom produces the church. The church is not the kingdom, but the church is a manifestation of the kingdom here on earth. The church is the community of the kingdom of God. And as such, the church is the new social order of redeemed humanity. It is a foretaste of the coming fullness of that kingdom. You often hear us say that if you start with the kingdom, you'll get the church. But if you start with the church, you might miss the kingdom. A guy named George Ladd gave five summary statements in the relationship between the kingdom and the church. The church is not the kingdom. Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He did not preach the good news of the church. We'll see that in Acts chapter 8, 19, 20, and 28 as we go this morning. The kingdom, number two, the kingdom creates the church. As people enter God's kingdom... They're joined to the human fellowship of the church. Jesus promised, I will build my church. The church witnesses to the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Matthew twenty-four, fourteen. Number four, the church is the instrument of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit manifesting the power of the kingdom works through disciples to heal the sick, cast out demons, and carry out the ministry of Jesus. We see that in Luke 10 and Matthew 10. And then finally, the church is the custodian of the kingdom. It's given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So the order of our DNA matters. It's important. K-D-S-C. Start with the kingdom as preached by Jesus, and he promises to build his church. And if you start with the church, you might get an institution that may or may not end up looking like the kingdom. A couple more introductory thoughts before we get to the book of Acts. How does the church actually manifest itself? The church manifests itself as the universal church or the global church which is all believers, everywhere, at all time. The church manifests itself as a local church, like Three Rivers Church, a local gathering of believers. And within the local church, there are small groups or cell groups. A cell is a part of a body that reproduces itself. For us, that's our radical life groups. And then there are individuals. We all together make up the body of Christ, individual disciples of Jesus gathering in small groups that then gather to make up the local church that all together make up the universal church. And there are three images in the New Testament that are given for the church. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, the corporate dwelling place together of the Holy Spirit. So as we look through Acts this morning, we'll see all of this play out. We'll see Jesus preach the kingdom, we'll see disciples being made, Those disciples engaging society to heal what's broken and preach the good news. And then those disciples gather together to form a local expression of the church, the community of the kingdom. So three big observations we'll see throughout the whole book of Acts. Number one, the church is given a mission. The church is given a mission. Number two, the church is the ongoing witness to Christ in the world. The church is the ongoing witness to Christ in the world. And number three, the church is God's new covenant people. The church is new God, God's new covenant people. So let's start with Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 3. Acts 1, 3. He presented himself, Jesus, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the first thing we see in the book of Acts, right off the bat is that after his resurrection, Jesus continues to teach about the kingdom of God. Just like we looked at last week, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And we see that after his resurrection, he continues to teach about the kingdom. So if you skip on down to verse 8 in chapter 1, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So next we see that the church will be Jesus' witness throughout all the earth, both local and global at the same time. It's where we get the word global. You'll hear us say that from time to time. Local and global, same time. Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once they're filled with the Spirit, then they, collectively, will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's simultaneous and not sequential. It's a both and, not an either or. So a point of application from this that we'll draw on is that the whole church is the missionary. The whole church is given a mission to make disciples of all nations. Not just a few within the church, but the whole church, all disciples are given that mission. So if we move on to chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 37 and we'll see what the community of the kingdom looked like gathered together. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about three thousand souls. So how do people enter the church? How do people become part of the community of the kingdom of God? They repent and believe It's the same thing Jesus preached, repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. They ask Peter when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Okay, what do we do now? We've heard this word. We received this word. What do we do? Repent and believe. The church is the gathering place of the citizens of the community of the kingdom of God. There are those that are within the church and those that are outside the church. You become part of the church through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. When you repent and believe, you, re- you profess that faith. Through baptism. Baptism is the entry mark for a new believer into the church. And as a biblical church, we'll practice baptism as new believers repent and believe and make a profession of faith. Next, picking back up in verse 42, we get a glimpse of what community life looked like within the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we get a glimpse into church life. Early church life. The church as a community is on display. They met together. They were devoted to fellowship. Breaking the bread. Prayers. Etc. They bore one another's burdens. And the Lord added to their number daily. Those that were being saved. We see the church here as a community. Very clearly. They were devoted to. Meaning it was no casual undertaking. That they just happened to get together. They intentionally did these things. They intentionally got together. They were a family. They were a community. Fellowship, meals together, celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion, providing for and caring for one another, and praising God for all the things that they had. We see in these verses church life on display. Lord's Supper, baptism, care for one another, evangelism, studying the word, praise and worship. These are the things we do in our time together. It's what we do on Sunday morning, and it's what we do in our Radical Life group. We take the Lord's Supper, we baptize those, we care for each other. We share the word with other people and we praise and worship. Gathering together was a priority. It was the priority for the early church to be together. They were devoted to one another. The life of the church was a stark contrast to the world around it. And it should be the same for us today. Our priorities in living life together as the community of the kingdom of God should look very different than the priorities of the culture we live in. And even in our culture, gathering together as a priority is a testimony and a witness to the world around us that there's something important, that this matters, that this is not just another thing to check off of our list, that this is not just another thing to get caught up in our world and let go, but that gathering together with the body matters. It's important. And it's a testimony to the world around us that we follow Jesus. And we take his word seriously. Moving on to Acts chapter 4. We get a little bit deeper glimpse. I'll pick up in Acts 4.23. Peter had been imprisoned. Or beaten. Released. Picking up in Acts 4.23. When they were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it. They lifted up their voices together to God. And said sovereign Lord. Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand and heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place for which, in which they were gathering was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So the church gathers together to pray in a time of need. And notice what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness to continue witnessing to Jesus. Jesus had told them, you will be my witnesses. And that was their prayer. That in spite of persecution and hardship, they would continue to do what Jesus said to do and be his witnesses. Their prayer was not for safety. It was not for security. It was for boldness to continue witnessing as they had been commanded. The church is the witness to Jesus in the world. Picking up in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of whatever was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The display of unity here within the church is evidence of the church being a new social order. ...of redeemed humanity, unity was a priority for the church. They were unified in following Jesus and in nothing else. Above all else that could divide them, they were unified in their love for and obedience to Jesus. This is a deeper look at the life of the early church... ...truly living out what it means to be kingdom citizens on mission together for God's glory. They met each other's needs. They took those things seriously. If we move on to Acts chapter 6... For the sake of time, I'm not going to read that passage. But in the first seven verses there, we see the beginnings of the church organizing to carry out its work to further their effectiveness. As the church grew and the needs within the body grew, there were needs that needed tending to. There was a group of widows that had been overlooked. And there are some racial implications as to how and why that may have happened. But the church saw that need and they appointed spirit-filled men to take care of it. This freed up the apostles to do the tasks that they were called and gifted to do. And it allowed those men who were appointed to use their gifting to serve the church. So the church saw the need and organized a way to meet that need. So again, unity mattered. That act was to preserve the unity of the church. It was to meet a physical need, but the greater need was to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Move on to um, Acts chapter 8 as we continue making some observations about the church. Acts chapter 8 verse 1, uh, persecution is broken out. Stephen is stoned for proclaiming um, Jesus. And Acts 8 1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the church is scattered because of persecution. And up to this point, the church had mostly stayed in Jerusalem. And now they're scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria because of this persecution. And the apostles remain in Jerusalem. Notice the pattern of Acts 1-8 where we started. They were supposed to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The whole church is the missionary. The whole church is given this mission to witness to Jesus in the world. And if we flip over to Acts eleven, we see the result of this scattering. Acts eleven, we're we'll pick up in verse nineteen. Give you a second to turn there. We'll see the result of these who were scattered as a result of persecution. As Jesus continues to build his church. Acts eleven, nineteen. Now those who were scattered, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So those who were scattered end up founding the church in Antioch. Unnamed followers of Jesus who were faithfully obeying him as they went, scattered because of persecution, preached the good news and made disciples who made disciples who gathered together to form a local church. This church in Antioch is the church from which Paul and Barnabas would later be sent out on Paul's missionary journeys that we read about through the rest of Acts. And Antioch is where the believers were first called Christians. Notice in this passage, they refer to the community of believers in Jerusalem as the church in Jerusalem. Again, the whole church is the missionary. We've said this before, that every disciple is supposed to be a disciple maker. Every disciple is a potential church planter. This church was not founded by pastors, elders, missionaries, gifted people with a lot of training. It was founded by unnamed disciples of Jesus who simply heard and obeyed and went elders were appointed later as the church grew and required organization so these guys who were scattered simply obeying making disciples form a local church if we look on over in Acts 13 we see that the church is ascending church verses 1 through 3 in Acts 13 you know, there were those in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. So we see that the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas as commanded by the Holy Spirit. So they were gathered together, worshiping the Lord, and the Spirit said, send these. And so they did. The church sends. And by our standards, they sent their best. They sent the guy that was sent to them to help them get started. They sent Paul. We know all about Paul and his letters. And They sent their best. They didn't hold on to it. We intentionally end our service with the phrase, three rivers, you are sent. That's not original with us. It's not unique to us. But it conveys the message that we are sent from here with a mission, with a purpose, God's glory, all nations, all places. We are, as the church, we are Christ's witness to the ends of the earth. He didn't leave a plan B. He didn't leave some other way. It's our job. We're the church. We're to make disciples. If we move on to Acts 15, again, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but this is known as the Jerusalem Council where the leaders of the church are faced with making decisions on how to incorporate the Gentiles into the church without there being a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Again, we see unity of the church gathering together being a priority. They're faced with strategic decisions on how to discern the leading of the Lord as he builds his church across racial and cultural barriers. So as the church expanded to the ends of the earth... ...crossed cultural barriers, they had to strive for unity. It wasn't automatic. It took some intentionality, it took some planning... ...it took some repeated attempts to get it right... ...but it was worth it because their display of unity... ...showed their love for and obedience to Jesus. I'll say that again. Their display of unity showed their love for and their obedience to Jesus. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we would be unified... And that we as his witness would be unified in love for and obedience to him. Unity in Christ is vital for the church. Paul even emphasized that in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a whole chapter about the necessity of unity within the church. Striving for that. Uh, let's pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. 16, 6 through 10, we'll see that Jesus directs the building of of his church. So as they went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we see that Jesus does what he promised. He directs the building of his church. He will build his church, and nothing will stand in the way of that. Nothing will stop that. He directed Paul and his companions to not go to one place and instead to go to another. They hear and they obey. They may not have understood, but they hear and obey. They follow the leading of Jesus to go where the Lord Jesus said to go. They go where he sent them as he built his church and furthered his kingdom on earth. Because it's all his. So we hear, we obey, and we go, even when it doesn't make sense. Even if we're not sure why this is working and that's not working, we go because we hear and obey the king who is giving us orders as he builds his church, the community of the kingdom. There's two more places in Acts. I want us to look, um, and again, I'm not going to read this first one in Acts chapter 20, but in verses 17 through 38 of Acts chapter 20, Paul addresses a group, the, the elders of the church at Ephesus. He addresses this group as a distinct group of leaders over a distinct local church, By this point in church history, the church had grown to need established leadership within each local church. He would later write to Titus to go back and appoint elders in each church. The church wasn't founded by the elders. They were appointed later as the church grew and required structure and established leadership. Every disciple is to be a disciple maker, a potential church planter. But lastly, I want us to look at the very end of Acts, chapter 28, the last two verses of the book. So we've seen a lot as we've marched through this rather quickly. Um, As the church came into formation. And at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome in prison. Picking up in Acts 28 verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul, imprisoned in Rome, continues to preach the kingdom of God. Acts begins with Jesus preaching about the kingdom, and it ends with Paul teaching about the kingdom. This is the fulfillment of Acts 1-8. Now, don't hear me saying fulfillment as in one and done, it's over, and it no longer applies. But fulfillment of Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul had made it to the Roman Empire, the center of Rome, the center of the world at that time. And he continued to declare and witness to Jesus. It had spread all throughout the world. It was a continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. As they went, the church is the witness to Jesus in the world. Now, that's a whole lot to cover in a very short amount of time. A wealth of information about the church as it came into existence. Looking through the book of Acts and seeing the church, we see the church primarily as a community. Not primarily as an institution or a building or a place. It is a people gathered together as citizens of the kingdom, the family of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So what do we take away from all of this? What do we take away from understanding the church as the community of the kingdom? So I've got seven applications. I won't be too long. Number one, the whole church, the whole church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We read the verses that talk about the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we like to personalize those sometimes, like I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a spirit-filled believer, but we collectively are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit as God's new covenant people. The Holy Spirit is sent at Pentecost, and from there, spirit-filled believers all throughout Acts spread the gospel and make disciples as Jesus builds his church. It was the Holy Spirit who instructed the church at Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas as they gathered together to worship. So when we are gathered together, we are, the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So number two, the whole church is the missionary. The whole church is given a mission. Missions is not an isolated program within the church. Missionaries are not special forces group of super Christians. As we say during our greeting time each week, we are the community of the kingdom here on mission together for God's glory. Every disciple, a disciple maker. We are all responsible for carrying out the Great Commission. So number two is the whole church is the missionary. Number three, the local church is the context for the New Testament. The local church is the context for the New Testament. Lone Ranger Christianity, isolated from a local gathering of believers, is foreign to the New Testament. If you look at Paul's letters, the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Philippi. If you look throughout the book of Acts, we saw reference to the church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, the church in Ephesus, the church in Rome. And in Revelation, Jesus instructs John to write seven letters to seven churches. The context for the entire New Testament after Pentecost is the local church. The context for the entire New Testament after Pentecost is the local church. In Wayne Grudem's writing, he's a theologian he makes a distinction between a true church and a false church. And within the area of true churches, he makes a further distinction of what he calls a more pure church and a less pure church based on certain marks that should characterize a church. In writing about how a believer should look for a local church to belong to, this is what he says. They should find a true church in which they can have effective ministry, in which they will experience Christian growth as well, And then they should stay there and minister, continually working for the purity of that church. God will often bless their prayers and faithful witness, and the church will gradually grow in many areas of purity. So notice the emphasis here here from him on serving and not being served. No place to consume. There's no room for church hopping and church shopping. What's so stunning about his statement here is that he's writing... ...in the context of being in a church that would be a pure church... ...or a true church, but not a pure church. Meaning that he's teaching believers here who find themselves in a church... ...that's true, filled with believers in Jesus... ...but they're not doing so well at living out all that Jesus commanded. So if that's true of a church that's not pure... ...to use Grudem's language, how much more should that be true... ...if we find ourselves in a church that is pure or more pure? How much more should we be engaged... Should we stay and minister, seeking the good of and the growth of the church that we're a part of? I don't have time to preach a second sermon this morning. Y'all wouldn't stay and listen on the um, body of Christ imagery of the New Testament. But the gist of it is that we're all gifted members of the body of Christ. We have a role to fill for the good of those around us and for the glory of God in the world. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. We all have gifts. We all need each other. And this is why Lone Ranger isolated Christianity in the West doesn't line up with the Bible. How can you be a part of the body using your gifting appropriately if you are not present and part of the body? The norm should be being present, not absent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that every member serves the whole body either to its health or its destruction. This is no mere theory. It is a spiritual reality. So gathering together with a local church is vital for the believer. Number four, we saw this repeatedly throughout Acts. The church is to be unified. Paul wrote a whole chapter in Ephesians about it. Two examples we saw in Acts were in Acts chapter 6, when they appointed the seven to take care of the distribution to the widows. And then in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, they strived for unity. Unity. We're bound together by our faith and not by our experience. Bonhoeffer said that. He said, Jesus Christ alone is our unity. And through him alone we have access to one another. Joy in one another and fellowship with one another. And there's a whole lot that we could unpack from this implication. That we're going to be unified and what that means. Um, I'm going to leave most of that to you to do tonight in your radical life groups. Or whenever ever you gather together. Um, but there's a whole lot we could unpack In each and every circumstance that we find ourselves about being unified in Christ. But our unity displays the glory of God. Jesus prayed for that in John 17. It is vital. In Ephesians 4, Paul said to strive for maintaining unity in the spirit. Strive for it. It's worth it. It matters. Number five. The church is the new social order of redeemed humanity. Our unity is one practical example of this. Our priorities are different because we are a manifestation of the kingdom here on earth. And our priorities should line up with those of our king. We are kingdom citizens, as Emmett preached about last week. A gentleman by the name of Michael Goheen wrote in his book, The Church and Its Vocation, that the church is a people that have already begun to taste the kingdom life that God intends for humankind. It is the first fruit in each city of God's assembled new humanity. We have already tasted the kingdom life. We are a manifestation of the kingdom. So number six is the next last one. We are to be disciples who hear and obey. We are to heal what is broken and preach the gospel. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. disciples of the Holy, Disciples who are full of the Holy Spirit seek to hear and obey. And as they go, they heal what's broken and they preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And as the kingdom advances, disciples are made. Disciples are those who repent and believe and seek to hear and obey King Jesus. Those disciples continue living and engaging in society. Living as the new creation, seeking to heal what is broken within each domain. And as disciples are made, they gather together and they form the church, the community of the kingdom of God, the community that is the first fruits of redeemed humanity, renewed humanity, a foretaste of the full reconciliation of all things to come under Christ's rule. The church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and the church indwelled by and empowered by the Holy Spirit is the witness to Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And we are expected to be unified because it's a picture of being that new humanity reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. And the church has a mission to make disciples of all nations, all peoples everywhere to the ends of the earth. That's why we go to easy places and we go to hard places. Fun places and not-so-fun places. But that's why we say that for the glory of God, we will disciple the nations by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. This captures all of this in a beautiful summary. God's glory, all nations, disciples made, disciples grown, up, in, out. Worship of God, community with each other, and ministry to the world. We saw in Acts chapter 4 that security is not a value in the kingdom of God. Jesus promises to be with us as we go, but he doesn't always promise that it'll be, it will be easy or that it will be safe. But as citizens of the community of the kingdom here on earth, we go and we obey because Jesus is our king. And he said to go. He promised to be with us for our good and his glory. So we go and we hear and we obey. So be disciples who hear and obey. And finally, we worship. The outflow of being disciples who hear and obey is being a worshiping community together. We are redeemed, and Jesus continues to display his greatness by redeeming others. As the community of the kingdom, our lives should be characterized by worship. Worship of the only one worthy of our praise, the one who brought us back to himself, the one who built the church of which we are a part. He truly is worthy of all of our praise. He fulfills his word. He is building his church. He will not fail in this. He will restore all things to their proper order one day. So band, if you'll make your way up here, um, I want to close with this. I want to invite you all to join with us in worship. The proper response to the revelation of God's word is to worship. So I want to close with this from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise. O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. So let us pray, and then we'll worship together. Father, you're good to us. And you fulfill your word, and you continue to build your church, the community of the kingdom. And Lord, as you display your greatness and your glory among us, we pray that we would give you all the praise and honor that you're due. Pray that your name would be glorified in us today, this morning, and as we go out from here, wherever you send us, that we would be faithful to hear and obey you, and that you would be glorified in that, and that you would continue to build your church and further your kingdom for the glory of your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.